Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you are listening to Pregnancy, Parenting and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all that and so much more. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, Navigating a Healthy Pregnancy and Birth for Mother and Baby. I wrote it uh, because after almost 20 years of work as a labor and delivery nurse in big city hospitals, I noticed a few things. A lot of women were coming to prenatal care in the delivery room without all the information they needed to have safe births the way they wanted them and with the ability to make their own decisions. So I wrote that book, which you can get wherever you buy books. And later I wrote Mom's Side of the Story, a workbook for women to write themselves as the main character in their child's life story. You can pick that up over on my website, jeanfaulkner.com. And I wrote that because too often in healthcare and parenting, we put the focus solely on what's best for baby. And duh, obviously everyone wants baby to be healthy and happy. But what about mom? What about her well-being? Too often, mom is sort of looked at as a second thought. And it turns out when we focus more on baby than mom, it doesn't work out all that well for either one of them. When we focus on mom's health, well-being, and happiness primarily, though, or first, baby turns out great, too. Funny that, huh? So that's what I write about and what we talk about here on the podcast. So there's nothing else to do about it but keep talking through COVID-19. Uh, we crossed the horrible threshold of more than 100,000 deaths in this country this week. And by the time you listen to this, it'll probably be way, way more. Last episode, we talked about how COVID has hit the childcare industry, which most working parents rely on to some degree in order to just make their living. Now, whether that's a full-time nanny or a daycare center or an after-school program that keep, keep, excuse me, that keeps kids safe while you go to work, um, even if it's relying on friends and family, all of that has changed with COVID-19. And we're now taking a closer look at what it means to the workforce if parents can't work without childcare. This week, we're going to talk about something that's uh, a big part of most women's lives, boobs, bras, and support for the girls. Um, that'll be this week's guest. We'll be talking with Bree McKean from Evelyn and Bobby, and I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Before we get to that, though, I want to talk about what's happening this week in the news. The most important thing on my news feed are the riots raging in Minneapolis and Louisville. Another black man has been murdered by the police, and again, it's been caught on film. In addition, the president is tweeting about inciting violence and using a phrase that was used by a white police chief from Miami during the Civil Rights Movement. It was 1967, and Chief Walter Headley said, in response to civil unrest um, for in Miami, what he said was, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, which meant he would order officers to use guns and dogs to control pro protesting black citizens. And that's what Trump tweeted today. When the looting starts, the shooting starts. That's his response to the riots we're seeing today. All over social media, people are saying, 
um, all kinds of things. But one of the things that is most disheartening to me is the response of, well, if people didn't riot, police wouldn't use force or violence. That is just not true. If you are rioting and you're white, police probably won't use force or violence. Maybe they will. But if you're rioting and you're black, oh, yes, they will. Black activists and sports figures tried taking a knee. And I can't think of a more peaceful and powerful way to protest. But that did nothing but get them fired from their jobs. If peaceful, peaceful protest doesn't work, what else is there to do other than escalate? It's just not the same for white people at all. Apparently, white people can protest at whatever extreme level we want, and we still don't have to worry about getting killed. You know, just think back a couple weeks when armed white men surrounded the Minnesota governor's office, demanding she open businesses and stores. They had guns. They had artillery strapped to their bodies, protesting for their right to get haircuts. And the police stood silently by and did not resort to violence. The president did not threaten to send in the National Guard. The president did not threaten to use uh, violence if there was looting. They, did, they just don't treat black citizens the same way. And right now, racism is on full display, just like it's always been. And as someone who lived in Los Angeles in 1992 during the Rodney King riots, it doesn't seem like anything has changed, except for the fact that now police violence is frequently caught on film, which means that everyone is a witness, you and me included. What are you going to do about it? Well, for now, I'm going to do this. I'm going to talk about it openly because this isn't a topic for black people. This is a topic for every human. I'm going to vote for new leadership for this country so that our highest representatives make dramatic, sweeping change in the way all people, but especially people of color, are governed and supported. I'm going to reread books about racism, and I'm going to start with So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijoma Eliwu. I may be saying her name right, and my apologies if I do. Then I'm going to make a donation to the Minnesota Freedom Fund, which is a nonprofit organization that's fundraising bail for the Minneapolis protesters who've been arrested. Doing these things is not enough. It's nowhere near enough, but it's what I've thought of to do right now. And I encourage you to do something too. It's a heavy week and things are hard, but we cannot ignore the hardship. This is the stuff we have to bear witness to, speak up against, and put our own privilege and power to good use towards making change happen. This is the world our children are growing up in. This is the world that we're living and parenting in. Do your part, will ya? So let's take a real quick break. And then we'll come on back and talk with this week's guest. Okay, we're back. Bree McKean is the founder and CEO of Evelyn and Bobby, a company that sells bras and, and intimate apparel for people with boobs, made by people with boobs. Let's get Bree on the line. Hi, Bree. It's Jeannie. Hi, Jeannie. Great to talk to you. You too. 
You're um, somewhere in Oregon, my home, my home state, sort of. Where are you? Yes. Yeah. Well, so right now I'm down in Selma, Oregon, which is a tiny town where I grew up, uh, which is right by the Oregon-California border. But um, but most of the time when I'm not in quarantine, I'm based in Portland as well. So we're neighbors. So you're in one of the most beautiful spots in the entire universe right now, aren't you? I am. And I have to say, you know, it's been such a challenging time for us as a society, but I've been really grateful for the silver linings, at least, you know, for me, I've been able to spend time in nature, which is so valuable and something that, um, you know, as a busy CEO, it doesn't always come naturally with my lifestyle. So I've been so grateful for that. I know I'm all about silver linings because, you know, it's, this is scary. This is a scary time. And yet there's some real nice stuff coming out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It is, especially, um, yeah, it's a, it's a mixed bag, but there there's silver linings to be found for De- sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let me ask you the big hard question then. Who are you and what do you do? <laughs> All right. Well, I'm Bree McKean, and I make bras and underwear that you actually want to wear. Um, I have, I'm the CEO and founder of a company called Evelyn and Bobby, and I named the company after my two matriarchs, but, um, I started the company. I, if you had asked me, you know, 10 years ago, if I was going to be a, a bra entrepreneur, I would have totally laughed, but, um, you know, how journeys unfold. And for me, I just became, I'm a naturally curvy woman. I'm, I'm like a 34 double D, triple D, you know, whatever, everybody's got some confusing number that they're always trying to find. But for me, I knew that I was curvy and I knew that I didn't want to be uncomfortable every day just because of, just because I'm a woman. So, um, so I set out to make myself some better products. And now I have 17 patents in six countries and really come up with some, with a different way of doing things in a way that really matters, I think, to women. So, that's what I do. So I've got I've got already a bunch of questions about that. First of all, <laughs> I want to know who Evelyn and Bobby are. You said they're the matriarchs. Are they your mother, your grandmothers? Yeah. Who are they? Yeah. So when I, you know, um, so I, um, I, I mentioned. I think I mentioned to you before we started today that um, that I study medical anthropology, and so I. Um, when I set out to name my company after I discovered that, you know, I had some good, some good technology for bras, um, I, I really wanted to do something that, that mattered culturally that was helping to move things. I wanted to create a brand that was helping move the conversation about women and their bodies and how we look at ourselves and how we make choices about what we buy, like moving that in the right direction. And so I named the company after Evelyn and Bobby. Evelyn was my maternal grandmother. And she kind of represents beauty. Um, our brand represents beauty and purpose in that, you know, really it's not about appearances. It's about, it's about beauty in the deeper sense of the word and finding purpose. So um, Evelyn represents beauty. She was a starlet and, a, and kind of a bold young woman. She moved to New York when she was 16 um, and uh, was a hostess and a starlet and did all kinds of interesting things. And then my aunt Bobby was my great aunt. She's the one that taught me how to sew when I was a little girl. She was an entrepreneur, a world traveler, and she really represents purpose. And so I wanted to name the brand 
after real people because the brand is for real people. I really taking that. a step away from the, the, the fantasy and illusion and that whole world, from grounding love- it in reality. I um, have been keeping track of your company for a long time now because you're a Portland company and I'm a Portland girl. And Thank you for yeah, supporting us. Yeah, yeah. And um, because what I like about what I see, especially in your social media campaigns, is that you have women who look like women and all different skin tones and support with comfort and that, you know, a nude bra isn't just beige. I love it. I love everything about your company. Plus you're from my town. What's that to love? <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's, you know, that was the kind of the, inc- we call it our inclusivity promise, but it's like, if I, I want to be your first the first bra for teenagers, you know, we have, we have customers that are 15 years old. We have customers that are 85 years old. We have customers that are as, as fair as can be like me. And we have customers that have, that are from East Africa and have gorgeous dark skin and everybody in between. And we've, and we serve, so we serve every skin tone, we serve every age and we serve as many sizes as we possibly can. So right now we serve from about a size two up to a size 28, 30 dress size. And, um, and part of what we're doing with our technology is trying to make your size matter less. Um, we have really, only, we, we use str- really stretchy products that kind of form to your body. Because the old story in Intimates was, here's how you should look and that, that's what matters. Yeah, And we think it's of historical significance for women to now say, no, you know how I feel is what matters. Mm-hmm. And I also look great when I feel great, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's, that's true. We, we look great when we feel great. And, um, and so it's just kind of a shift in ethos, but it's been, it's working. So you said that you got into this because you needed a, a bra that was comfortable for you. But, you know, most of us don't go make our own bras. How'd that happen? How'd, and, and then how did you build that into a career? Well, so I, um, I'm a small town girl and I'm, I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college. And, but I've always been driven by curiosity and kind of this, um, do it yourself mentality. That's the ethos of my family, which is like, there's, there's more solutions in the world than there are problems. So if, so find the solution. And I was actually working in finance. I had a totally different career. My dream was to go to Stanford. And so I worked really hard. And I, um, I got myself to Stanford and with the support of my family, got, got through Stanford and ended up going back for graduate school. So I was working in finance in the financial district in San Francisco. And um, as a curvy woman who wanted to find success and be um, successful, especially in a male-dominated environment, you know, what I, how I presented myself and how I carried myself and what I wore and, you know, the costume matters. And so... Um, I found that um, comfort bras, I couldn't wear a comfort bra that was like based on what used to be available in the marketplace. I couldn't wear a comfort bra to a business meeting or, um, you know, with a, with a um, well-fitting tailored blouse, like those comfort bras just didn't give me this, give me a professional look and, or a look that was really acceptable. And so I started really, and I, I started working on developing my core strength so that I could walk into the room with authority like a boss. And um, because with my 
I would sometimes honestly feel like I just wanted to put my boobs on the desk at the end of the day in my underwire bra because they'd be so heavy. And then I had pain in my shoulders and divots from the straps. And I've got, you know, I was getting migraines and just felt like I had this weight of, you know, because it's very easy to get to 10, 15, 20 pounds of boobs, depending on how curvy you are. Oh, it's a lot of yeah. weight to carry. Yeah, it's a lot of weight to carry, especially if you're breastfeeding, you know, or if you're, and anyway, but um, I could not find a comfort bra that also looked great and really gave me the lift support and, and um, containment that I wanted. And, um, and one particular day, I, I've been working with this physiologist to improve my posture. And this is why, like, our company tagline is stand tall and lead from the heart. Because what I, what I found out by working with this physiologist, I was standing there one day in my underwire bra. I had been working, doing the bar method and working on my core strength. And he said, okay, Bree, this is great. Like, the curves in your spine are evening out. You're, this is your best posture. And I said, Dr. Kauser, when I stand like this, I, all I can feel is my underwire digging into my ribs. And he said, that is so important. It's called a neuromuscular feedback loop. You can think of it like a pebble in your shoe. You don't have to tell your foot to curl around the pain. It just does. And it's your lizard brain telling you to curl around the pain. He said, if your underwire hurts, when you stand up straight, you can't wear that bra. You've got to go find something better. And then I realized wait a minute, this isn't just me. If this is millions of women, if we're wearing something that tells us to slouch our shoulders forward, to, to curl forward and slouch, that's, it's a small thing, but it's a big deal. You know, it's like you hear these studies about what smiling for four minutes can do for you. Well, what about standing tall and, and opening up your heart all day long? What is that going to do? And so it, then it kind of became a bigger, like then it became a fire where I was like, I'm not going to stop until bras are comfortable. And oh my gosh. And then I started really digging in and researching this industry and it blew my mind. You know, I mean, this is changing now in the last like three or four years, really. But up until just this moment, most of the major decision makers making decisions on what products you see available for you to buy in store or online are being made by 65 year old white men. Oh, I know. And, um, yeah. And so for, so then, you know, it was even more empowering to just um, imagine a world where people with boobs made products for people with boobs. It seems to make sense. Yeah. Kind of common sense thing, you know, so <laughs> not so common. Yeah, I know. So I've got, four girls that are, that are my girls and, um, bras, man, it's a lifetime relationship. Yeah. And, you know, it starts it when they're about 11 or 12 and they're mm -hmm. getting their first little scraps of paper just because they're sensitive and they want protection. And, yeah. you know, for many of us, our bras are a lot, you know, in addition to providing support, mm -hmm. they're the clothing item closest to our skin. They protect, yep are vulnerable breasts. They put them on display. They're a statement of sexuality. Our oh, so many things going I know. on our bodies. And then our sizes and styles change over time, you know, from training bras to nursing bras to sports bras to bralettes to, you know, then there's the whole underwire thing. It's mm -hmm. a lot. And it's a lot. Yeah. And, you know, then there's a lot of concerns. There's health concerns about 
Is it healthier to go without? Do underwires cause permanent damage? You know, there's just so much. Mm -hmm. And that's not even Mm -hmm. getting into the whole issue about getting the right size. Mm -hmm. So I am imagining... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm I'm like, I'm so, you're, you're hitting on so many exciting and important topics. Um, It's true. And I, I, but just jumping in on, on, um, there's so much identity stuff too, right? Like, I mean, that was one of the things that blew my mind, Jeannie, when I was started doing research and I come from a social science background. So I started out by doing these focus groups where I had real women come in and sit in groups of three or four. And then we went through, you know, this whole research process, but The thing that was so fascinating as you think about your girls and this whole thing that we navigate related to bras that we don't usually give that much thought to, right? Like it's just a bra, but um, that there's so much in it. What I noticed in these research sessions was that when I asked women, so let me get this straight. You don't like shopping for a bra. You can never figure out what your size is. You never, like every bra comes with a trade-off and you want to wear something that makes you feel pretty, but the granny bra, it's like with all that aside, um, why do you think it's so difficult for you to find a bra that works for you? And the answer that I got is, was, well, it's because of, I have broad shoulders or narrow shoulders or my boobs are too big or my boobs are too small. And there's so much of what's been the messages that have been out there that kind of tell us that it's kind of, it's maybe because you have a weird body or it's because you are pre-breastfeeding or post-breastfeeding. And it's like, no, the bras, we need to start over with how we think about bras and, and have the bras serve us, not have us trying to always conform to bras, if that makes sense. It does because, you know, like in so many messages that women get, we're told that it's not the product that's wrong. It's you. Yeah. It's not the bra that's the problem. It's you. You don't fit the bra. But the idea is the bra has to fit us. You know? Yeah. And so and then there's the fitting experience. Oh mm-hmm. my lord. Mm-hmm. I have mopped up so many tears with my daughters when I've needed to take them in for a fit. Um and oh, yeah. Yeah, and not only is it embarrassing for them to have to get measured, which is, you know, a whole thing, because then we have numbers associated with us. And is it the right number? Is it the wrong number? Yeah. But, but And what does that number mean? Yeah. Do I like that number? Does it say something that I can feel good about? You know, who, who, which of my teenage friends might judge that number? It's like, there's, there's so many things that go, well, okay. So actually this is, I have to tell you, um, when I, so the first bra that we launched was, um, this is back in 2018. That bra was totally different than the bras that if you go to our website that you'll see now. And and we tr- tried in the beginning to kind of tackle the bra industry with all its complexity. And we had these this super complex system where you could send us two measurements and we'd match you. And we had three-dimensionally graded sizes and there were like 37 different sizes in the, in the very beginning and then more. Anyway, long story short, that bra was so complicated um, that it wasn't successful. And we're not going to make that bra anymore. But I'm so grateful for that failure in a sense because it brought us 360 degrees to evolve to the product thesis that we have now. And now we only have six sizes. And what we learned by going through that, the launch of our first bra was that more than women want to have 
to finally learn their perfect bra size that's, you know, their perfect half bra size or three-quarter size. More than she wants her perfect bra size, she wants to never worry about her bra size again. Yeah. She wants it to just not to be, she wants to let it go, you know? And so for us, we ended up um, moving in the direction of, we work with the same factories as Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour. And I worked really hard to find like the best technical manufacturers, but then work with them to make everyday products that weren't like performance sports bras, but that were, you know, every something that wanted to feel like a second skin. And, um, and in doing that, we leaned really heavy into these advanced stretch and lamination technologies so that we could have really few sizes. So like, you know, my friend who is much smaller than, than I can wear a medium and then I can wear a medium or a large, but it's like they each garment expands and contracts so much that you just can worry a lot less about your size. So we just took the approach of saying, okay, what if, what if we just created products where that super specific number just didn't matter anymore. And, and, you know, I'm hoping that my nieces will grow up without ever really worrying about whether they're a 32 C or a 36 double D or triple D or whatever. Yeah. It, it seems like the bra industry has always kind of geared towards smaller women, you know, like I've always That's been a, a fact. yeah, I've always been a big breasted woman. And, um, so are some of my daughters, not all, but, you know, Victoria's Secret just doesn't carry my size. And so what does that tell women? Super, oh, super. oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. This is like, this has been really fascinating to see unfold. And that's one of the things that I learned when I got into the intimates industry that was so interesting was that um, even though, so uh, over the last 20 years, our breasts have gotten a lot bigger, bigger than we have gotten fatter. And there's shockingly little research being done on why that's happening. There's, there's one really good book written by a journalist called Breast that does a, a really fascinating inquiry into this. But, you know, I met with breast researchers at Sloan Kettering, and one of the things that really surprised me was how little research is being done on, um, on breasts in, in terms of, like, lymphatics and um, and understanding like why our breasts have gotten so much bigger. But um, despite the fact that our bodies have changed over the last 20 years, the average used to be a 34B or a 32B. And then it is went in over 20 years now, the average is actually a 34 triple D. Um, and, you know, yes, we as a whole are, are, have gained weight, but there's, it's disproportionate to that. And so despite the changing body realities, most bra companies are still, they basically make a 34B and then they grade it up. It's called a grade where they say, okay, this is a 34B and it fits a 34B model. And then we're just going to make it incrementally bigger. Well, that doesn't work because it's an engineering problem. It's not a, it's not a fashion problem, right? Like if you have, if you have half a pound of breast tissue, you need this garment to do a totally different job than if you have 15 pounds of breast tissue. So the point, your point of like, why, why is this geared to smaller breasts is because the industry has been, I call it the inertia of bad ideas, but it's like the industry has been really slow to update that and to change the way that they actually make products so that they work for curvier bodies. Because it's really, you know, um, it's a different job designing for us when we're designing a size small versus our 3XL, those are pretty different bras. They look the same, 
but the grade is not a straight line. Like we have to try that on lots and lots of bodies and fine tune down to an eighth of an inch, a sixteenth of an inch in order to configure the garment depending on how much load you're going to carry. So my listeners are primarily pregnant women or new mothers, and this is a time in their life when their breasts, you know, maybe for really the very first time in their life, their breasts are busy and purposeful and productive. Mm. And their bras are doing a big job. So what can we say to, what do we tell these women? Well, first of all, um, so we don't make any specific like maternity bras right now, although I would love to hear from listeners how the Defy bra does as a maternity bra, because so far the Defy bra is kind of, um, it looks almost like a sports bra, but there's some flexibility in it. And we've heard from just a few moms that they actually like using that as a maternity bra. But I think the biggest thing that we hear um, from women throughout their life cycle, including especially around having children, is that your breasts are going to change so much. And um, and so having a bra that, like your bra size can change, I mean, it, depending on which sizing system you're using, but you can be looking at a, a very significant change in the, in the volume and weight and density of your breast tissue. And so you really want something that's going to be flexible, that's going to move with you. And, um, and having something without hard structures is definitely what I recommend because you want to give as much movement as possible. Obviously, I'm not a doctor, but, um, but the other thing that we hear from women that's really interesting is that after breastfeeding, um, so many women are surprised because they'll say, oh, you know, now that I've breastfed, my, um, my breasts look different. Or, you know, um, one woman said, she's like, I feel like now the shape I've, I have, like, it, there's some, it feels like a deflated balloon or something. Mm-hmm. You know, women come up with these hilarious ways of describing things. But I always like to say, oh, my gosh, you know, first of all, after you breastfeed, you do lose your top cup. Like, the shape of your breast will change. But that's normal and healthy, and it really should be expected. Like, we should all be talking about that, you know, like the changes that happen in throughout the course of breastfeeding. Um, but, yeah, you know, the, the, the shape is, and density is going to change a lot. And so having something that flexes and moves with you is, is important. And then as your breasts get heavier, you really want to watch where you're carrying that weight on your trapezius muscle because you can get a lot of pain and discomfort coming with, um, with the increased weight and load. So you really want to find something that where the strap sits over your shoulder clavicle joint, which is really wide on your shoulders. And by doing that, it's going to, you can get the weight of your bust to sit on your skeletal structure and, and kind of on your core versus hanging on your trapezius muscle, which is what will cause your shoulders to come up and your head to, to lean forward and, and, and disrupt your posture. That's such good information. So how are women bra shopping now during the pandemic? Well, we've been so happy. A lot of our customers during this time have taken the time to, sh- like customers that love our product, because our products are a little bit culty. Like, you know, people will buy one and then they'll come back and fill up their drawer. We get love letters from customers every day. Um, we call them like forgettable intimates, which is, you might think it's not um, a 
the best marketing phrase, but if you really think about it, it is. It's like we want you to put it on and say, oh, so soft, and then forget about it for the rest of the day because women have more important things to think about. You should not have to worry about your underwear moving around. Or, um, And so in this time, I think when it's another silver lining for us, I think, as a company that's really trying to promote comfort first, um, a lot of women have shared, and we've gotten a lot of new customers during this time because it's brought into focus how important it is to be comfortable. You know, if you don't have to put on that uncomfortable underwear or bra and march into the office, chances are you're not going to, you don't want to sit in front of Zoom with, and be uncomfortable unnecessarily. And so um, I'm hoping that for the women that have started wearing our full support wire-free bras, that that'll be something that sticks, you know, because you really don't need to be uncomfortable in your bra anymore. There are, there are some great women-led bra startups that are out there that are, that are paying attention to the, the design details that matter to us. And Evelyn and Bobby is one of them, but there's a, there's a group of really amazing female bra entrepreneurs that are out there right now trying to make products that work for us the way we actually are. I love that. So let's talk about supporting the girls and how, oh, yes. yeah, how you chose to provide underwear for women in active duty on the SS Theodore Roosevelt. Tell me all about it. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, um, my brother was a Marine and is a Marine, I guess you'd say. And, um, and he, we, he's got an amazing network of, of veteran friends and, um, uh, his best friend is a um, did four tours of duty as a sniper, and his wife is really heavily involved in veteran affairs. And um, you know, it was a pretty shocking situation. Um, you know, here is an aircraft carrier that is sidelined in Guam, and um, they're running out of feminine hygiene products and fresh underwear for these women. And it was like a six-week procurement cycle for the government to get them new supplies. And so um, they called on nonprofits to deliver those supplies to active duty um, women in active service to make sure that they had those basic needs met. And so um, when I heard about that, I we had to do something, you know, and it's as a small company, um, we can't go make these big cash donations that the big brands can make, but we did have underwear and we were like, how can we make a difference with underwear? So working with I support the girls was really awesome. We did a, like an Instagram live and I got to talk to the founder of that organization. Who's got a beautiful story. She's, um, you know, a suburban housewife that saw a need and has built this incredible organization. They've given away like 9 million pieces of, of bras, underwear, and feminine hygiene products, which are, are the least donated items, it turns out. So, um, so we were able to contribute to that. And then, um, and then there, was, there were a number of other organizations that we were also able to um, pitch in toward. I think she said that they had 650 new requests during COVID uh, for underwear in particular uh, for women in need with so many people facing personal hardships and um, sadly moving to um, homeless status and just, you know, so many terrible changes that have affected a lot of people during this financial downturn. So 
we were really, really happy to work with I Support the Girls. They're a super cool organization too. If you're, if, if any, any of your listeners are looking for a really amazing feminine, female-led nonprofit, um, you can certainly check them out. I love that. So what else do you want listeners to know before I hit you with my rapid fire questions, which are really hard? (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Um, you know, I, I think what I would say is, um, this is such a, a wonderful inflection point where we can, and I'm so happy. I just, Jeannie, I think your podcast is so tremendous because it's so easy with the forces of, with cultural forces to, to um, let these systems happen to us instead of participating in these systems. And um, I just love that you're digging into these juicy topics because really at the core of it is, you know, how do politics and policy and even the forces of business and capitalism, how do those forces play out on our body? And, you know, this is more particular to my mission, but I I just want women to understand that your comfort is revolutionary. Like making a choice to support a female-led company or making a choice to choose something that is going to put your experience first. Um, There's there's a lot of great products on the market now that allow you to look great and feel great. And just, you know, putting your comfort first, like it, your experience matters. It really does. And it's really hard to rule the world when you've got an underwire sticking in your armpit and <laughs> the lace is itchy and, you know, you're trying to be present to the, totally. to the work you're doing in the world. And we all have our thing That's that right. we're here to do. And when it, when you're uncomfortable, you can't give a hundred percent. So yeah. No. Yeah. Well, let no, me... and I, I always like to say it's, you know, it's funny to imagine, um, to imagine it the other way around. Like I have a slide that I sometimes put in, um, in certain presentations of, uh, men's underwear from the 1930s, which were these like thin wool onesies. Yeah. And I, and I always like to joke, you know, um, men wouldn't wear underwear designed in the 1930s. We should neither. That's a good one. That's a good one. But, you know, I think that um, in a way, a, a wool onesie might be more comfortable than a poorly fitting bra. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah. Well, let me ask you my, my wrap-up questions here. And you've sort of you've sort of answered the first one, but let's see what you do with it. What role... Does feminism and politics play in your life? Feminism and politics are the backdrop against which I'm trying to design better products. Taking both of those things into account to participate in progress somehow in my small way That's a good answer. How would you fill in the blanks? Nobody ever told me that. Oh, nobody ever told me that failure could be the secret to my success. Ooh, 
Good one. I know, we're all raised to think that failure is a bad thing. Failure is just a teacher. It's a great teacher. The best teacher. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, I know that you don't have kids, but this question, you answer it <clears throat> any way you want. Where do you stand in the world of motherhood? So my great aunt Bobby, who I named this um, company after, was never able to have children. And yet she was one of the most um, profound teachers in my life. And so I take my job as an auntie seriously. I was there when my first nephew was born. And I don't know if motherhood is in, in my path or not, but motherhood to me is um, just represents all of the love and the promise of a better future. Oh, that's such a lovely answer. Such a lovely answer. Yeah. Well, Bree, this has been a really fun conversation. I've loved it. And you know what I'm going to do later on today? <laughs> I'm going to go order some new bras. <laughs> oh, well, it's been so marvelous connecting with you. And I just think it's remarkable, the women that you are bringing together to talk about such important things. And, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I actually wrote my honors thesis on birth in America way back in undergrad. And I, just, I think it is such an important topic to be explored. So thank you for giving me the honor of being able to join you on your podcast. Well, you know what? Speaking of that thesis, you should come on back again on another conversation. And we'll talk about your thesis and what it's like to write that you know, from the perspective of somebody who doesn't have kids. I bet it was shocking. Yes, it was fabulous. It was um, a, just a, a totally, and I did ethnography, you know, so I was, I spent a lot of time um, with expecting moms and attended some births. And so it was, it was really a remarkable experience. It certainly left me full of awe for mothers. Well, we're going to have to talk about that someday down the road. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime. You let me know. It's been a real pleasure. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. We'll talk again. Bye, Jeannie. Bye. That's it for this week, everybody. Go check out Evelyn and Bobby and help support the girls. You can find out more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. That's J-E-A-N-N-E-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R.com. If you're interested in picking up your own copy of Mom's Side of the Story, you can do that over on my website. You can also find information over there about the webinars and writing workshops I co-teach with Rosie Acosta. If you are a writer or you want to be, I'll teach you how. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Pregnancy Parenting and Politics. You can find me on Twitter at Jean Faulkner, and you can email me at jean at jeanfaulkner.com. Ask me your questions. Pregnancy Parenting and Politics is produced by Recluse Records. Let's talk again next week. Bye-bye.